0: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today, uh, it is March 18th, uh, and we have a brand-new Top 25 at BaseballAmerica.com, and we have a new number one team in the country. It is UCLA. We will dig into that in a second, but uh, you know, we have with us today Joe Healy and Dave Serrano. So welcome into the, the podcast again this week, guys.
1: Thanks, Teddy. Appreciate it. Glad to be back.
2: Yeah, I tell you, looking forward to it.
0: So, as I mentioned there, uh, we have a new number one team. It was a bit of a tumultuous week around college baseball. The the conference play started for for several teams, and that brought with it some marquee series and uh, several top twenty five series. And as a result, uh, of course, some teams had to lose those, and therefore the rankings have a very new. Uh, Look to them. I mentioned UCLA takes over for Vanderbilt at number one. That's the first time. Uh, We've had a changeover at the top of the rankings this season. And then beyond that, uh, things also look a lot differently. Mississippi State is up to number two. Uh, And for both uh, UCLA and Mississippi State, that is uh, their highest ranking since the end of the 2013 season, when, of course, they met in the uh, College World Series Finals. And I will admit that it took me a full six hours after we finished the ranking for me to realize that. But I'm sure many fans picked up on that much faster than I did. Uh, Number three, still Stanford. Uh, They were idle last week for finals. And then number four is Texas, which is coming off a big series win against Texas Tech. Number five is Vanderbilt. North Carolina State makes a huge move up to number six. And then we uh, round out the top 10 with Oregon State, North Carolina, Florida, and Louisville. Joining the top 25 this week, we had Texas A&M, which beat Vanderbilt uh, two out of three at home for a huge series win for the Aggies and Arizona State, which is the final undefeated team in the country. The Sun Devils sitting at 19 and 0. They just swept Washington state to open PAC 12 play. So, I encourage everyone to check out the full top twenty-five at baseballamerica.com if you haven't done so. Uh, there are plenty of uh, nuggets about uh, every team. Joe uh, does a great job, uh, kind of rounding up each team's week. So make sure to to check that out um, and uh, you know see all the movement and, and see how all these teams uh, you know kind of got where they got this week. I want to talk about our new number one team, uh, UCLA. The, the Bruins won the series against Oregon State, the defending uh, national champions, last weekend. Uh, and they did it in an interesting fashion, I suppose. It, they they started the weekend with an 8 nothing win. Uh, they were really dominant on Friday night with Zach Petway on the mound. And they, they, uh, the offense really came alive. There was no Kevin Abel for Oregon State. Um, he remains out with a back strain, and Grant Gambrell did a solid job, I guess. But he, you know, he went six innings, but uh, UCLA was able to to get to him a bit, and uh, they go on to win that game. Then it was a, a very tight game too, that Oregon State came out on top with a seven to three win. Uh, they kind of broke that open late, and Adley Rutschman provided uh, some of that late offense for the Beavers. And then, uh, UCLA, you know, kind of a wild back and forth Sunday affair wins at nine to seven holds off a late Oregon state comeback, Adley Rutschman homered twice, but it wasn't enough for the Beavers and UCLA wins a key series kind of establishing themselves again, as the team to beat in the pac 12, they were that way coming into the season, but with the way that, uh, both they in Oregon state and Stanford had started, it was, uh, You know, it's a tight race at the top, and and UCLA comes away uh, with a very big series win. Uh, So I want to ask both of you guys just what stands out to you the most about UCLA to this point, uh, our new number one team?
1: Well, for me, Teddy, it's balance. Uh, You know, I haven't personally seen UCLA this year, but in talking to Coach Savage, and it's not only just balance, you know, I think they're being a little surprised by what I'm not being surprised, but I think he may be surprised by what the pitching is doing. Uh, I know that was a concern going into the season, but my, I put all my chips on the fact that John Savage is a great pitching coach. He's, he's established himself over many years of, of developing pitching staff, and I think it's starting to come out that he is developing a good young pitching staff with good arms into a really good pitching staff. Their offense we knew, we knew going into the season, that's continuing to flourish. They're playing good defense. But it's not just balance in all three of those areas. It's balance in their classes, too. They're an experienced team, but they've got a great group of uh, freshmen, sophomores that also are contributing. So I think it's balanced throughout the whole program. And, and you know, John and his staff do a great job of, of recruiting. And obviously, I, I, I feel that they're – I said it early on, I, I think they were – you know, on, being from the West Coast, they may not get as much accolades, but I think that's a team that everyone's going to have to reckon with at the end of the year. So I think they're only going to continue to get better when they get healthier. You know, everyone gets banged up, but when they get healthier, they're only going to get improve, in my opinion.
0: And they are starting to get healthier. Ryan Garcia, who was supposed to be their opening day starter and missed the first few weeks, he came back this week, started on Tuesday, threw about 30 pitches and then on Sunday, um, came on in relief of Sean Bergen, who did not last very long against the Beavers, uh, and went, I think it was four and two-thirds, and picked up his first win of the year, pitched pretty well. John Savage told me that Garcia kind of was starting to look like he did back in January when they were so excited about him. Uh, you know, So that that is a very encouraging development for the Bruins. Uh, Joe, I know you did see uh, UCL earlier early, early and came away impressed with the pitching and uh, you know but what else about them has uh, has impressed you to this point
2: well it's it's specifically with the pitching it's it's kind of the way they fit that pitching staff together because there was no doubt about the talent um it was kind of how do those pieces fit and what do you do when you lose a ryan garcia and, and you know the way they've they've built that pitching staff with you know kind of putting the freshman bergen at the back of it and he's for the most part he's thrived you you referenced kind of a shorter start this past weekend but for the most part, he's done an outstanding job there. And then, you know, Jack Ralston was exactly the right guy for that role in the rotation. And and he might not have been the obvious choice, uh, given that he really hadn't pitched for most of his career at UCLA. But he was the right guy for that moment, and he's really done a nice job there in the rotation. And they've, they've got a good mix in the bullpen. And, you know, obviously Kyle Moore is kind of their their moment of truth reliever. But, you know, they've gotten good work out of not just him, but guys like Jack Philby and Nathan Hadley and and Holden Powell. Um, so they're they're mixing and matching it really well, uh, you know. So it's not overly reliant on one guy out of the bullpen. It's not just you know uh, four guys who are doing the heavy lifting, and, and there's no depth. There's depth. There's high end talent. It's just a a really, really good mix, and I think the way they've used Garcia, frankly, as he's come back has been kind of impressive because sometimes when, when pitchers return from an injury, you kind of just find them innings here or there, but they've actually managed to use him pretty effectively. I mean, this weekend when they got a short start, they went to Garcia knowing that you know he's a guy who could stretch out a little bit and give us a few innings and kind of get us back on schedule if you will. So um that's just really kind of been a shrewd move there. Um the way they've used him in returning and not just focused on hey let's get him some pitches. They focused on how can we in the process of getting him some pitches make him most effective for what we're trying to accomplish here. So I was kind of impressed by that and they've it hasn't been easy. I mean they lost Nick Nastrini who was doing a fantastic job as their midweek guy, they lost him as well. So it really hasn't been an easy road for them. And it's got to be kind of scary. And I think I mentioned this after I saw him at Georgia Tech. I mean, it's got to be kind of scary for the rest of the Pac-12 that they really haven't been fully healthy yet on the pitching side of things. And and at some point they will be healthier. And, and that uh, is just going to make them even better. So, um, you know, chalk another one up for John Savage and his staff for, for figuring out the pitching side of things and, and not just the high end of it. They've really got uh, getting a lot from a lot of different guys.
0: Yeah, not just is the the pitching staff potentially getting healthier now, uh, but the the offense was good to start the year, but they were doing it without a few of their you know big guns really going. Uh, Strumpf, Toglia, Matt McLean had all started kind of slowly, and this weekend especially. You know, Strumpf had been kind of going for a week now, but I think Toglia and McLean especially uh, took a step forward this weekend and they did it against maybe the best pitching staff in the country. Uh, UCLA went out and scored a bunch of runs. And you know, so I, I think that, uh, you know, it, you, if I put myself back in the mindset that I was in coming into the year, uh, you know, I, I should be more impressed by the pitching. Uh, but now I'm, I'm at a place where I was like, wait, why was I even thinking? Like, I wasn't really questioning the pitching that much. But, you know, I, it was a, a concern of sorts. And now I'm wondering why I was ever doubting John Savage at all uh, in terms of a pitching staff. And yeah, they look outstanding. They have came into the, the series with the top 10 ERA. I haven't looked at the numbers to see if it's still there, uh, but it may very well be. And, you know, now if the the bats are going to come around in the way that everyone's expected them to, especially Strumpf and Toglia, who look like potential top two rounds picks, uh, and McLean, who was a first rounder last year, uh, you know, all of a sudden this offense is even better if if Ryan Kreidler and and guys like Kreidler and Stronak can can keep doing what they've been doing to this point. Um, You know, UCLA looks like a a really, really dangerous team. uh, and, And... it's going to be tough for them still. The, the Pac-12 is a, a difficult beast this year, but getting this series win uh, on the board right away to start the conference play, I think, is a big boost um, You know, as UCLA starts to look forward. Now, the, the Bruins were able to move up to number one uh, in part because of what they did this weekend and, and the rest of the season, but also in part because Vanderbilt lost a series at a and uh, they looked great on Friday night. I, I thought they looked like absolutely the best team in the country on Friday night in that win. Uh, and then they started Saturday's game going well. And then AM and mount a comeback. And Vanderbilt's bullpen couldn't hold it off. And then a uh, and really just kind of took it to them on Sunday to win the series. That's Vanderbilt's first losing weekend of the year. Comes on the road to a good a and team in conference play. Uh, But at the same time, is this cause for concern at all for the Commodores uh, as they move forward in SEC play?
1: I don't think it's cause for concern, Teddy. It's one series. I I think if you're Tim Corbin and staff, more of your concern is coming from your bullpen, your pitching and defensively. Uh, I think that's what's let him down a, a little bit to this point. We all I saw them early on the first weekend and I came back and I said their offense is a juggernaut and they they've held it's held the form they're hitting 320 as a team they've stolen 21 out of 29 bases they're fielding 980 uh, fielding percentage but I think what what's happened is when it's like in Saturday's game when it becomes crunch time and they need to hold the lead that's when they break down a little bit from their pitching staff to Two big arms, you know, they're Drake Fellows is not off to a great start. He's pitching almost just under a 5 ERA, 488. Eight. Uh, Zach King, a guy that they've been using out of the bullpen, is at a 747 seven ERA. They're hitting 305 again. So, those are two things that need to get fixed on that pitching staff. You can't put all the, the pressure on Kumar Rocker. He's a freshman, his numbers aren't great. But they're they're solid. for they're they're not TJ Gen numbers right now, but they're solid for a for a freshman that's that's walking into college baseball. But uh, they're getting great performances out of Patrick Raby. He's three and zero with an 0.70 ERA. But I think the concern is the consistency of the pitching. I have a lot of respect for Scott Brown. I'm sure he's going to figure that out. He's got a lot of good arms to play with. But they've got to get that fixed, and they've got their they, uh, the concern I saw early on was how were they going to play defense? They have a lot of guys in their, their lineup that are offensive, but how were they going to play defense? And I think that's been a little bit of a concern that the pitching, especially late in the game, they're not getting great, great starting pitching, but the bullpen has faltered some and their defense has let them down. But I don't think it's cause for concern. I mean, losing two out of three at Texas A&M, which is a good team. They've entered the top 25 for us. Now they're a good, good team. Um, I don't think that's cause for concern, but they've got some big series coming up. They got Florida this weekend at home, and I think it's Tennessee right after that. So it's hard to turn it around in, in the ten-week SEC play, and Vanderbilt's gonna have to find a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Vanderbilt has no time to feel sorry for itself. Um, they have to to get right back at it because Florida's coming in uh, for a series that I believe starts on Thursday. So I mean, they they got to get it right quick. Um, and I like, I mean, I, I think that the pieces are there on the pitching staff they just have to get it going um i'm a little less concerned about the defense maybe um i think that they're good i they are some positions where they're clearly prioritizing bat over glove uh, but i think that they're going to be okay defensively but joe what, what's your uh what's your read on vanderbilt at this point
2: yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief because I think I, I agree with you guys just in general. But I actually would say for the reasons Dave gave, I actually am a little bit concerned. Not in the in the grand scheme. I still think this is a very good team, going to be a top 10 team. I think, you know, all that stuff. Still a chance to go to Omaha, compete for national title. But where they might be a step back from where we thought they might be, I, I think, is enough reason for concern. That's if you start to look at, you know, year by year, you, you compare this year's pitching staff and what you see there to last year's pitching staff. And it starts to look fairly... Fairly similar. I mean, down to the point that they literally—and I actually did not realize this till I pulled up the stat pages—they have the exact same team ERA right at this moment as they did at the end of last year, um, and that's not terrible. It's 4.23, and as they go through SEC play, like a 4.23 ERA will win you a lot of games because of the talent there. But I'm, it, you know, towards the end of last year, it was—it it felt like they were maybe just kind of a pitcher or a two short, and they were still kind of maybe feeling out some some roles and and it's been better in spots this year i mean patrick graby's been outstanding and so that's been a, a big pick-me-up uh that's something that they really needed but outside of that i mean the bullpen really faltered last week. i think the stats i put in the roundup were something like 12 runs scored against the bullpen and nine and two-thirds or something along those lines and two and two-thirds innings of that were tyler brown scoreless so it was really 12 and something like seven innings from everybody else um so, I would actually argue that there is a little bit of a reason for concern because if you felt like maybe they were a little short on the mound last year, this year at least to this point is is very, very similar in terms of there's you know a handful of guys doing a lot of heavy lifting, and there's but an even bigger group of guys they're still trying to find some consistency from
0: I think one thing about that is uh, Vanderbilt has played several five game weeks, they've had some travel in there. I think it's been hard for them to. Uh, you know, and you throw in the rain. I, I think it's been hard for some of them to get bullpens uh, in between games to you know really work on some stuff. And maybe as the season calms down here a little bit, uh, as they get into conference play a little more, they'll have some time to work on some stuff. And and Brownie will be able to to get some of those guys right. But they absolutely have to because right now Tyler Brown is the the reliable arm in the bullpen, and I don't know how many other arms. Coming out of there, they they really can can trust to come in and, and get a few outs, no problems. And uh, they are going to need to to correct that, especially because this is not Vanderbilt's best starting rotation. Uh, you know, the, this is not Fulmer and Bueller. Uh, there, it's a good rotation, I think, ultimately, but it's not that. So they are going to need to rely on the depth of their arms a little more uh, than maybe the the elite arms at the top of the the table here. So I. It'll be interesting to see how it comes together. Uh, They need to have a good result this weekend. Uh, But then so does Florida, because Florida's coming off of a uh, a serious loss against Mississippi State. So it's going to be... I mean, it's always high stakes when Vanderbilt and Florida get together, but this weekend uh, especially is going to be interesting. And that is what we call a good transition in this business, because I want to talk about Mississippi State and what they did this weekend and really what they've done all season long. They have been... Uh, really, very impressive. I know we've talked about them uh, here on the podcast before, uh, but what they did going into Gainesville, winning uh, a series down uh, in McKeithen Stadium was was very, very good. They won the first two games of that series, and they kind of jumped out on on Florida starting pitching in some respects down there, and uh, you know we're we're able to to stave off a, a late comeback in one of those games, and just in general, Mississippi State came out and and played very well this weekend. Florida wins the third game, uh, which was the second game of a doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, Of course, it did rain in Gainesville. Uh, So they they played a doubleheader on Saturday instead of uh, playing that last game on Sunday. Uh, But again, Mississippi State comes out with Ethan Small and JT Ginn, and, Uh, Small especially was really good. Ginn kind of ran into maybe the first problems of his college career late in that start against Florida. They started getting to him. uh, But ultimately, Mississippi State rolls, and uh, they are up to number two in the top 25. And right now, they look like the best team uh, in the SEC. The way they're playing right now is just very, very impressive. Uh, Joe, uh, you've seen Mississippi State. I know you came away impressed, but... Uh, you know, just as they continue to roll over the last several weeks, what what is it about this team that that's uh, impressing you?
2: Well, I mean, first things first, I mean, you, you mentioned it there and that, you know, I've said this before, but but Small and Ginn are just uh, as good as any one-two in the SEC at this point with what they've accomplished. And Small was that again. And again, and I think that was instructive for them, you know, seeing Ginn in that environment and, you know, he shut them out through five innings. And so I think that is instructive, just that, okay, you know he 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 did some nice things, but you know we saw where maybe he hit a little bit of a wall, and I think that kind of helps you know again himself and the coaching staff kind of um, you know maybe next time around be able to maybe be a little more aware of of when that might be on the verge of coming through end up happening. So I think that was actually just overall very positive for for JT Ginn there um, because he, he looked the part. He he was certainly not out of place against Florida on the road in that environment. So I think that was was all positive there. Um, you know, when I look at their team though, I think one of the things that I'm struck with and I, I you know, I noticed this when I saw them in Frisco and just kind of felt this way before I really looked at the stats, but when you when you look at the stats you really it hits home that there really aren't any holes in this lineup. And that's not necessarily the same thing as the lineup being an absolute gauntlet, because don't get me wrong. I mean, Justin Foskey has been, been great this year. And of course, Jake Mangum is Jake Mangum and Elijah McNamee's been great. Um, but more so than that, I mean, they do have some of that star power, but it's not necessarily uh, you know, one through nine, just, you know, star studded and everybody can has just light tower power or anything like that. But there really aren't any holes. You've got, you know, Rowdy Jordan is hitting 159. And so he's, he's kind of struggled a little bit, but outside of that, they don't have anybody who's gotten what I would define as regular playing time hitting worse than 269. Um, And that's Tanner Allen, who, you know, has three home runs and six doubles and is, you know, getting on base at a 355 clip. So that's pretty solid. And so that just makes it to where the the opposing pitchers just never really get a break, um, no matter who they're facing throughout the lineup. And so there's just, Dave used the word balance for UCLA. I kind of feel that way about Mississippi State as well. The pitching is uh, for me kind of the headline item there, but, but offensively, um, it's not one of those lineups where you can just kind of pitch around one or two guys. There's, there's one through nine can really beat you. And I think a, a great example of that this past weekend was Josh Hatcher, a guy who just hasn't played that much this year. Uh, but he got a couple of uh, chances over the weekend, went four for seven over the weekend. Now in the season, he's nine for 18 on the year. So that just kind of gives you an idea. This is a guy who clearly um, has earned the opportunity to get some playing time, and maybe that's starting to happen for him. But, um, you know, if you can go four for seven against Florida, you clearly – uh, can get the job done, but there just really hasn't been that much of a chance for him to see the field. But it gives you that's kind of instructive and gives you an idea of the the type of depth uh, that they have offensively. So at this point, I mean, we came into the year thinking that they were behind Vandy, behind LSU, behind Florida, and then you know they were kind of in that mix with an Ole Miss, for example, in the SEC pecking order. But at this point, I think you're right, Teddy. I mean, at this point, this is a team you have to take very seriously as a potential SEC champion in the regular season. Um, I I don't know how you could see what they've done so far and and kind of come to really any other conclusion than that. I mean, will there be some shifting throughout the SEC pecking order the rest of the year? Absolutely. That's just the way that conference works. Um, And and nobody in the SEC wins that conference. Not nobody, it's happened before, but in the modern SEC, the very few teams are going out there and going 25 and five. Uh, So teams are going to lose some games. There'll be some shifting, but uh, Mississippi state is as good as just about anybody in this league.
0: Absolutely. And you know, that one-two punch is going to give them a chance to win every weekend. And uh, it's just such an impressive start for both Small and Ginn. Uh, but Dave, I, the, the SEC had several marquee matchups, and I know you were uh, very impressed by what Georgia did going on the road to sweep South Carolina. And the Bulldogs, uh, they continue uh, their impressive start to the year as well and and they are uh you know they they've won all five of their series they start SEC play with a sweep and you know they the the bulldogs are now up to 11 uh in the top 25 so what has impressed you to this point uh or i guess what stood out to you the most when when you were looking at, at Georgia this weekend
1: i i'm really happy for scott strickland he he had they had some down years there when he first took over and now they're starting to kind of show what Georgia baseball should do. They're in the heart of a lot of talent. They're obviously are keeping some at home. You know, it you know, and I'll be the first to say, and I, I think they would admit it too, they they haven't scheduled at a conference. They didn't play they didn't play a real tough schedule, but they took care of business where they needed to take care of business. Now they go on the road, uh tested for the first time on the road. They sweep a South Carolina team. You know, they've got some good arms in, the, in, in their rotation. Emerson Hancock, who's uh, got a good arm, and, and Tony Losey, who's, who's kind of figured it out. As a freshman, he had a great arm but was kind of wild, figured out pitching at a 2.17 ERA. Emerson Hancock at a 0.58. Uh, both of them are um, averages against are really low. They've got, they've got some good arms in, in their team. And then Aaron Shuck, a two-way guy who they're using very sparingly, has only pitched eight innings out of the bullpen, but he's got seven saves for them. So they're doing it with their pitching. They've got great pitching numbers, but offensively, they've got a quartet of of, of four guys that are just tallying up a ton of numbers. Eight, L.J. Talley, Ryan King, Tucker Maxwell, and Aaron Schunk, uh, the two-way guy, they're all with tremendous averages. They've hit six. The, that quartet has hit 16 of the team's 25 home runs, and they've driven in 70 of the team's 147 RBIs. So they've got. Uh, They've got a a quartet in that lineup that's really driving in a lot of runs, run production with some power. And the guy who I personally know because I recruited him one time is Cam Shepard, their shortstop. He's playing great defensively but has gotten out of the gate a little slow offensively, only hitting .267. So you add him to the mix when he gets his bat going and they're only going to get scarier. I think this is a really good Georgia team. I think they've got some good arms. They've got a good balance offensively. I believe there's somebody that's going to make a run at that East. If you look after this weekend, obviously the West had their way with the East. And only Georgia, who swept South Carolina, was the only team with a winning record coming out of this weekend. And I think they're going to give Vandy, Florida, who have been the top dogs on the East, they're going to give them a run for their money this year. But I really like Scott Strickland's team at Georgia this year.
0: Yeah, the the way that they they've played has really been impressive, and uh, you know the, to to go up to South Carolina, which again is a team that won a series against Clemson, um, you know is is an impressive sweep to start SEC play, and then this week they get LSU at home, so they get you know one of the better teams in the West, but they get them at home, and it would be a big uh, result. I think both of those teams go into this weekend with something to prove. LSU, of course, um, you know, still trying to uh, figure some things out, and you know, they the one time they went on the road for a weekend, it did not go well at Texas. So they, they you know, they have to go prove that they can win on the road. And, and Georgia has another opportunity to co- pick up a, a marquee series win uh, at the start of SEC play. So. Uh, big week coming up for Georgia, but they're coming uh, into the week with, with some momentum sitting there at 18-2 and two and undefeated in the SEC, which, uh, you know, it's hard to, hard to do a whole lot better than that right now for the Bulldogs. So very impressive uh, start to the season for them. Now, I mentioned Texas in beating LSU a couple weeks ago, and Texas continues to roll. They, they open Big 12 play this week. They played Texas Tech in, in a matchup of uh, the two conference favorites there in the Big 12, and Texas comes out with a series win. They, they, uh, they really had to earn this one, but I've, I've really been impressed with the Longhorns' resilience this year. Um, I saw the last two games of that series uh, here in Austin, and uh, I mean that, that was the biggest thing that I walked away from was just so little went right for Texas in the first half of the rubber game. They're getting no hit through five innings. Uh, they had to uh, make a pitching change uh, in the third inning. Then one of their key relievers walks off the mound with a trainer and a shoulder injury. And David Pierce ran through half a dozen arms uh, out of the bullpen, just looking for someone who could throw strikes. And they yet they still found a way to win. Uh, they they rallied. Uh, they got a big three-run inning there in the sixth inning and, and kind of just carried that over to a, a 4-3 win, held off a a late Texas Tech comeback, and, and they come out with a, a series win. That, and I, th- This Texas team, it might not be the most talented team in the top five. It's definitely not the most talented team in the top five, but they just keep winning, and they're playing one of the better schedules in the country. They've already played – LSU, Stanford, and Texas Tech—three teams that we think very, very highly of—and uh, they're they've done a great job in those games. I mean, yeah, they went one and three out of Stanford, uh, but Stanford's one of the best teams in the country for sure. And I, you know, I have this team, Field, uh, you Field—they know, have an attitude that is going to serve them very well as the season goes on. Uh, they've already overcome some adversity this year. You know, they're down a catcher, they're down a shortstop. Uh, with DJ Petrinsky and, and um, David Hamilton, there it is, uh, out for the season uh, w- with injuries. But the the Longhorns just keep finding a way to win. And I, I just continue to be impressed by what David Pierce uh, has done with this team here in his third season. Uh, but, Dave, when you look at the, a, a team uh, you know that, that plays with that kind of attitude, that plays with that kind of resiliency, just how difficult is it to get that out of a team?
1: Well, it does. You said it perfectly, Teddy. And I, uh, uh, I'm going to give kudos to David Pierce. I personally know him. You know, first of all, taking over a Texas program, following the legend of the late Augie Garrido, that's not easy in itself. That's a that's a tough task before you even put a team together to follow in those footsteps at a heralded program like Texas. But I, in my belief, that's what David Pierce is. He's a tough-minded man, young uh, coach. He's He's done that at, at his other stops. He's, he's, he's got those programs to win. There's no reason why he won't do it at Texas at maybe even a higher level because of the resources they have. You said it perfectly. They're not maybe the most talented team. Their numbers aren't great. They're not off the board. They're hitting 249 as a team. They've got a good DRA at 297. 297 but it's just that they're finding ways to win. And, you know, they like you said, uh, they, they played a tough schedule, so they've been battle-tested and, and – uh, for me, they're, they're the team to beat in the, in the big 12 right now. And it's still early on. They have played one weekend. Some teams haven't even started their weekend, but for me, there's a lot of teams that have gotten off to great starts, that I still think we have some question marks about because of maybe who they've played, but I don't think we have that about Texas. They don't have maybe the unscathed records like other teams do have, they have a good record, but I think the resiliency and the toughness that they have shown is, is, going to make going to take them a long ways and and you know I and again I, I think it starts at the top and I think you got to give credit to David Pierce and his staff for what they've done to put this this team together they've had some blows the Hamilton loss as we talked earlier in the year we thought that was going to be a major blow because I think he's an outstanding player and but they just they've just turned their head and keep going and they don't let it bother them and and I think they are going to be someone to be reckoned with when it's all said and done because they have the toughness and the resiliency to get through this 56-game schedule and beyond with all the adversity you hit over the course of the season.
0: I think that's a great point. Um, Texas has seven losses, which is more than most of the teams that you'll see around them in the top 25. But I also think I know almost exactly who Texas is as a team, and they're winning games against good competition, uh, You know, despite some of these these flaws as a team. And I, some of these other teams just haven't had those flaws exposed yet, and, and they will. Uh, whereas I know that Texas has some issues. Uh, you know, offensively they're not great right now, and I think that'll get better. But this is not going to be an offensive juggernaut. Uh, but they've shown that that doesn't matter that much because their pitching staff is as good as it needs to be uh, to win games four to three against really good offenses like Texas Tech. Uh, you know so I, I I've just been very very impressed by the horns uh, so far this season Dave mentioned there that that uh, not everyone in the big 12 has gone going in conference play yet Texas Tech and Texas were really the only ones that started uh, this weekend because they both uh, will take a finals week off uh, in May so they, they get an early start everyone else gets going this weekend Joe the league is um, a little wide open, I guess. Behind those two teams, just what? Uh, who do you see that, that that's going to challenge uh, Texas at the top? Or you know, is Texas Tech the biggest challenger? Or who else can get in that mix?
2: Yeah, so I think Tech still is the biggest challenger, just because of uh, they're just so incredibly talented. And um, so I think they are going to get back in that mix. They'll have something to say about the Big Twelve title race before it's all said and done. But the other team to watch here is Oklahoma. I think. And, you know, a team we've written about uh, in in the recent weeks, and um, they've really kind of kept it rolling. Um, Anybody who was kind of waiting for this team to start to show, um, you know, some weaknesses, it really just hasn't happened yet. And what's interesting about their schedule, this could be one of those deals where, you know, tech is probably the actual answer here, but you could look up on you know, something like, you know, April 28th, uh, when they finish, Oklahoma finishes its series on the road against Kansas State, and Oklahoma could really be rolling in the Big 12 and and look like the biggest challenger to to Texas, presuming Texas stays at the top. Um, But their final three weekends, this is Oklahoma, are home for Texas Tech, the Bedlam series against Oklahoma State, and at Texas. Uh, so a very very backloaded schedule uh, you know probably the two best teams in the conference and then a rivalry series against uh, an enigmatic but talented Oklahoma state team um, so it, it's one of those deals where like I said, I think tech's probably the actual answer but it's I, I think Oklahoma's going to be able to put some standings pressure a little bit on Texas because I think with their backloaded big 12 schedule they're gonna be able to uh, metaphorically speaking run up the score a little bit um, in the standings at least early on uh, you know for the sooners it's just been a matter of a lot of the questions that we had about them, they've answered in the affirmative probably better than even the most wide-eyed optimist probably would have assumed. I mean, they they came into the year with a rotation uh, with some question marks. You knew what you were getting in Nathan Wiles, and he's been solid. But uh, Levi Prater and Kate Cavalli, who were new to the rotation, at least for the most part, um, we didn't know what we were going to get from them necessarily, and they've been even better than Wiles. Uh, Levi Prater has been nothing short of outstanding, and, and Kate Cavalli still you know, the walks are maybe a little higher than you'd like them to be, but he's striking out a ton of guys and he's, he's proving to be hard to hit and his ERA is, is right around two. And and then in an embarrassment of riches, you know, Ben Abram, uh, their fourth starter has been excellent as well. Um, you know, he's walked one guy in 22 innings. So that's, that's pretty doggone good. And, you know, when I talked to Skip Johnson a, a, a few weeks ago, he, he mentioned that you know it sounded to me like they were still kind of trying to figure out who their guys were in the bullpen he felt pretty good about a a core of guys they had out there but but then you look at the stat sheet and it's a lot of you know this this guy's got five appearances this guy's got seven these three have nine appearances this guy's got eight appearances so um maybe that is still the case and he's still trying to figure out who uh, that core is but you know legend smith zero ERA, zero er8 in the two-thirds innings ryan madden zero ERA er8 innings um jason Roughcorn the a&m transfer you know 159 era um so it's 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 depth but there's the high end numbers there um, that has just gone really, really well. And offensively, you know, Tyler Hardman's kept it up. Riley Ware is a guy who who just hits. He's done nothing but hits since he's been a Norman. So um, it's kind of the usual suspects offensively, along with Brandon Zaragoza, who I wrote about when I wrote about them a couple weeks ago, that, you know, the glove was never in doubt, uh, but maybe the bat's coming around a little bit more. His average is down from where it was when I, when I wrote about that, where he was up in the high 300s. It's down at 293 now, but he's still... Um, doing a really nice job and he's walking more than he strikes out. And so if that's the kind of thing you're getting from a a defense first shortstop like Zaragoza, you're doing pretty well. So um, don't sleep on the Sooners necessarily because, like I said, I think you're going to look up at the end of April and and given the way their schedule plays out, I I think they're going to be right in that mix. Uh, And the question will just be can they go through that gauntlet at the end of the year and, and in those nine games come out, Closer to five and four and not so much two and seven or what have you so that's going to be the question for me but you know I think it's Texas tech and then kind of the dark horse there is Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Oklahoma is an interesting team here at the start of the year and I also think that uh, TCU uh, might make a play for this a little bit. Uh, you know, just the fact that they have Nick Lodolo, Brandon Williamson uh, there in the rotation. like those two guys really can can make a difference for them if they can get some consistency from some other pieces around those guys. Um, you know, they uh, you know, they can play uh, with any of these teams just because they have what they have there at the front of the rotation. If those guys do what they're supposed to do and they're they're going to get Texas this weekend and at home. And if they're able to take advantage of that that home, uh, you know, that home field there in, in Lupton Park, uh, you know, maybe the Horned Frogs can make a statement at the start of Big 12 play and then carry some momentum through. But I think it is going to be important for them to to get a, a good start this weekend to, uh, you know, and, and next weekend as well when they play Oklahoma State. They need to take uh, advantage of, of playing at home against uh, some of these these tougher teams in the conference at the start. So that they don't dig themselves uh, a deep hole that then they're trying to get out of, because in this Big Twelve, I don't know that that's going to be possible. Uh, you know, when you have teams like Texas and, and Tech and and Oklahoma rolling along right now, uh, I, I think that you got to make sure you, you start conference play uh, strongly if you're a team that's trying to challenge here for the Big Twelve title. Um, now couple other things here that I wanted to run through. One of them, Arizona State, 19-0. As I mentioned at the top, last undefeated team in the country uh, as North Carolina State lost on Sunday in the series finale against Florida State, although they gave that a serious run for the money uh, in trying to sweep that series uh, there in Raleigh. But Arizona State finds a way against Washington State. They they needed to walk off uh, on Saturday night. Played a tight game on Sunday, uh, but ultimately the Sun Devils still undefeated. Ju- or uh, sorry, Dave, just how impressive uh, is 19-0 for these Sun Devils?
1: Well, it, it's really impressive, and I know in many of our uh, top 25 talks, they're they're now in our top 25 and deservedly so. It's been about the the maybe the lack of strength of schedule, and I think that could be accused to many people around the country um, that have gotten off to wonderful starts. Um, but, you know, when you, when you have a two-headed monster with Hunter Bishop and Spencer Torkelson that are putting up unbelievable numbers and, you know, Bishop was actually taking the lead after Torkelson's last a great year last year, it's, you know, it, it starts with their offense and it's an offensive ballpark and, and especially this time of year where the ball's traveling well. But the part for me that the credit needs to be given is what they're doing on the pitching staff led by Alec Marsh, who's now 5-0. and He's their Friday guy. I think for many people around the country, including myself, I think it's been their pitching staff, the impressiveness of their pitching staff of what uh, is the reason why they're doing so well. We all knew that they were going to be offensive with some of the names they have throughout that lineup and they've got experience throughout the lineup. But I believe it's been the pitching that, you know, they've had, they had uh, early on in the year, they were talking about were they going to have enough depth. They lost some guys late right before the year. Um, the pitching has been impressive and, and you've, I don't care who you play in college baseball because there's such parody when you start out 19 and 0 that is a fabulous start uh to a to a great season and will they go undefeated absolutely not they'll be dinged somewhere along the way in Pac-10 play Pac-12 play but uh it's an impressive start for Tracy Smith and the Sun Devils and they're well deserving of being ranked in our top 25 and and uh, they're a team to be reckoned with. I mean, like I said, I, I'm not discounting that they didn't play a great schedule out of the gate. They played a, they've only played one game on the road when they went to Cal State Fullerton and beat the Titans. Uh, they'll start to get tested. But uh, they have a lot of confidence going right now, and you could just tell. I've seen some videos of some of their games. they got some swagger. They've kind of got that Sunday Sundayville swagger back. So they're going to be a tough opponent as, as the season plays out
0: absolutely i mean they've just built an incredible amount of momentum and confidence uh and, and we'll see how well that carries through and this weekend they will hit the road for the first time on a weekend to play at oregon uh it will be interesting to see how that turns out and how they uh continue to chase the uh i they're their undefeated streak here uh, how long they can continue that into the season uh joe we uh we've talked about a lot of A lot of teams so far here on the podcast, Uh, but who haven't we talked about? Who aren't we talking about yet in in college baseball this season uh, that we should be?
2: Well, the answer is Indiana State, and and here's here's why. I think there's a compelling case to be made uh, for the Sycamores, not just because they're 16-1. and one, All of that alone is is impressive enough. Um, and let me, before I, I really get going here, put a big giant caveat because I, I as much as anyone else understands, that it's still a, a touch too early to take too much stock in the RPI. But with that being said, I am a big believer in the fact that, I mean, look, we're we're a third of the way through the regular season at this point, as hard as that might be to believe. Um, and so we're, we are at a point though, where I think you can kind of take what the RPI is giving you and kind of start to get a good idea of what it might look like in certain ways. So uh, the reason I bring up Indiana state is because they're currently sitting at five in Warren Nolan's RPI. Um, and so pardon me, six. And so that, you know, that might kind of strike you as that's a little off, but, and, and granted some of it is they have played a lot of road games. Um, but it's starting to look like Indiana state might be, the team in 2019 that is maybe in a best case scenario, a 2019 version of Stetson or maybe Jacksonville. Uh, I know Stetson's a a lofty bar because they ended up hosting at the end of the year, and I don't know that it's that, but, you know, Jacksonville was a team that uh, really hung around in that, you know, I remember talking a little bit last year in in April about how when Jacksonville and Stetson played, that that might have been a series for the right to host, and I think Stetson ended up sweeping it, and that was actually a big catalyst for them. Um, so that's kind of like a best case. But I think even at worst case, assuming Indiana State continues to win games and doesn't collapse from here, uh, which looks unlikely, of course, I, I think kind of a worst case, maybe they're this year's Northeastern, uh, where, you know, maybe the high-end wins aren't there, um, you know, but they've taken care of their business. They've won a bunch of games and the RPI just kind of keeps them uh, high up. And then you look at kind of their individual resume and, and you know, prepare yourself for some resume analysis on uh, whatever it is, March 18th. So a little bit, a little bit early, but this is, <laughs> this is right in my wheelhouse. I enjoy this kind of stuff. So, but here's my evidence for why this might be the case. For one is that if you look ahead and, and again, the caveat of the RPI, these RPI numbers will change, but you know, looking at what they have ahead of them, they only have three more games this year against RPI 200 plus. And right now that's a series against Valparaiso Uh, which has an RPI of 208, Um, I think Valparaiso's RPI might actually get a little bit better as they get into Valley play, so that might not even be a 200-plus RPI by the time uh, things are all said and done. And Indiana State is sitting there at 6 in the RPI as of right now, having already played games against UNC Wilmington, RPI 213, Iona, RPI 232, and then three games this past weekend at home, mind you, against RPI 235 Citadel. And, you know, if they play three games against the RPI 235 and they don't move, um, that suggests to me that there's something baked into the RPI that 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 the RPI really likes about Indiana State. Um, so I think you can extrapolate this out to the entire Missouri Valley Conference. And, you know, Teddy and I had an offline discussion about maybe this year's Missouri Valley is last year's Atlantic Sun, you know, with Stetson and, and Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, Gulf Coast was in the mix there for a while. But. You know, Indiana State's at six. Illinois State is at 30. Dallas Baptist is at 58, and Dallas Baptist is going to get better. They've just played a lot of home games more so than really anybody else in the in the Missouri Valley. But you know, Evansville is at 75 in the RPI. Bradley just outside the top 100 at 102. Um, I don't know that this is. I, I tweeted this on Saturday night. I don't know that this is 2015, the Missouri Valley, when Dallas Baptist and Missouri State hosted. That's that seems like a, a little asking a little too much. It's a bit of a stretch goal, if you will. But I do think it could be Missouri Valley 2015, in that they get three teams into regionals. I could see that, you know, being something that's um, just incredibly likely. You know, to say. Uh, To put it bluntly, you know, Dallas Baptist is probably going to be an at-large discussion. If Indiana State stays hot, then all you'd need is a Cinderella team to win your tournament, or maybe three teams are in at-large range. So we'll have to see on that. But uh, long story short, Indiana State is a team that I think we should be talking about because of the record, but also because that kind of has, uh, I'm starting to get the whiff of RPI Darling smell there with Indiana State. And um, again, they're going to have to continue winning games, but it's starting to kind of feel that way with them.
0: Well, here's the crazy thing about what Indiana State has ahead. They have twelve games against big Ten schools still to, still to be played. And uh, essentially, that's almost a big ten or uh, big Ten schedule uh, as it is. And so, I mean, they, they have opportunities still for not only RPI wins, but kind of marquee series wins because a couple of those are against sure. Michigan. Uh, and you know I, I also on the larger valley point, um, Missouri State doesn't look good right now and the Valley still looks this good. I don't know what to make of that necessarily. I don't know, maybe Missouri State will bounce back in the Valley. and But when you have what is typically one of the powerhouses in a conference that is down, usually the conference does not pop up then, but that is what looks like is happening right now. So uh, just an impressive statement to this point. Uh, from, from Indiana State and also Illinois State, um, you know, and, and of course, DBU still still rolling right along. So the Valley is an intriguing conference uh, that coincides nicely with them not being good at all at basketball this year. Uh, their lone entrant in the, the basketball tournament is a 15 seed of Bradley. Uh, so uh, what we often think of as a as a bigger basketball league is uh, this year popping up in baseball, which is that's fun to see um so with that let's uh let's move on to our shout outs where we mention um you know players coaches schools stories whatever uh that we haven't gone to on the podcast to this point but are are worthy of uh of of mention so dave let's uh let's start with you
1: well first i want to say teddy i'm a little disappointed that you're not doing the hot dog taco Uh challenge again and going straight to the shout outs but um in regards to shout outs uh first and foremost this is you know, an obvious one, but, uh, Jake Cooch from, uh, East Carolina throwing a perfect game this weekend against Maryland. That's coming off of just a couple weeks, uh, going in the ninth inning, almost no hitting Ole Miss. So uh, he's off, Jake's off to an impressive year, obviously helping the pirates, uh, being ranked in our poll and having a good season, but congratulations to Jake. Another shout out to Titan Hank LaForte, um, like uh 62 games now of of his on-base streak which is absolutely amazing dating back to to last year and even though the titans are struggling offensively and struggling as a team which is a little uncharacteristic right now uh hank continues to do his part as as a table setter and as a leadoff man so congratulations to hank there and then john savage winning number 500 at ucla we've talked a lot about ucla now our number one team but uh, like I said, John's, a, John's a, a very impressive coach, a good person, a good friend of mine, and congratulations, John, on win number 500. Uh, my team shout-out goes to the, the Dukes of James Madison. Uh, all they did this weekend was go all the way across the country to a heralded Cal State Fullerton program, win game one, one nothing. win game two, two nothing. They ended up uh, losing 12-3 to three in, the, in the finale, but they took two out of three at Titan Field at Goodwin Field, and uh, the first time the Titans were shut out back-to-back and in, in the James Madison Dukes do that, the the Dukes are off to a great year, 14-6, and six. and all the credit, I give a lot of credit to Coach Eikenberry. Uh, they've already played uh, Louisville, which they end up getting sweeped in the Louisville series, and then they go to Fullerton, they win two out of three, and they play at Lafayette and win two out of three, so great scheduling by him. Uh, three very tough weekends, and for them to get off to a fourteen and six start, um, that's a very good sign for James Madison baseball. So those are my shout-outs for the week. Yeah,
0: I mean, we Joe and I just spent a lot of time talking about how good the Valley is. Uh, the CAA is again this year uh, absolutely lit. Uh, I'm very excited to see how that plays out. I don't think it's. We'll see if it, it's as good as the Valley. I, I don't know if it has the RPI numbers right now that, that are there, but I, the teams are very, very interesting. When you look at James Madison, you look at Elon with its two big arms, Brnovich and Kirby uh, Northeastern is putting together a ni- another nice year uh, and Charleston and Wilmington are, are always solid. So uh, that conference uh, is also one to keep on your, your radar uh, even though it is uh, you know obviously not, not one of these power conferences the CAA uh, looking like another intriguing year in the Colonial. Uh, Joe, what do you got?
2: Uh, don't you worry, Dave. There will be hot dog talk. <laughs> uh, my shout out is to Mercer uh, and their ten cent hot dog promotion. I think it's a kind of a Friday night deal. I don't know if it's some Fridays or if it's every Friday. Every Friday seems like it would be a little much, but some Fridays perhaps. Um, so uh, you know, get out of here with your dollar hot dogs. The new hotness is ten cent hot dog night. Um, so I thought about, you know, Teddy tweeted about like, you know, us talking about how many tens and hot dogs we could eat. And like, I thought about it and you know, when I've been to like dollar hot dog nights and, and whatnot, I always just overdo it. Like I always think I can eat more hot dogs than I can. The problem is the bread. That's just a lot of bread, especially if it's one of the problems with ballpark hot dogs, as we all know, is that, you know, it's hard to keep the bun, kind of nice and soft. It either gets kind of crunchy on the outside or it's just really, really dry and it kind of feels like you're eating, you know, particle board or something. So that, that would really be the key there. So, you know, I, I always grab like, you know, I try to eat like four or five of them and I get through like three and feel awful. And it's, it's it, it, time and time again, I make the same mistakes. I don't, I don't learn at all when it comes to <laughs> cheap hot dogs. So, uh, but I think it's a cool promotion in all seriousness. It's kind of a cool promotion. I think one of the things college baseball does pretty well, honestly is is some of these kind of I go back to the uh, the banana bread giveaway at University of Georgia a few weeks ago. Like you know, that's that's kind of the things that I think college baseball does really well. I know minor league baseball gets a little more shine for that kind of thing just because it's more high profile, but uh, college baseball does a good job too of of finding unique ways to get folks to the ballpark and then keeping folks at the ballpark engaged. So uh, kudos to Mercer for uh, that ten cent hot dog night. A couple on the field things. uh, You know, Belmont off to a nice five and one start in OVC play. As as this podcast foremost enthusiast on OVC baseball, I, I felt obligated to. Mentioned them, and it was a team that uh, struggled in OVC play last year, missed the tournament, it was something like 11 and 19 in the league, so already uh, just about halfway to their win total last year. And, and one of those series wins was against Morehead State, the team that um, you know in my OVC preview had predicted to win the conference. And the OVC is a league that beats up on each other. So, um, and I in years when Tennessee Tech is not a juggernaut, of course, but I don't think there's a Tennessee Tech this year in that league. So it remains to be seen if they hold on to that. But five and one start certainly nothing to sneeze at there, and. Uh Stephen F. Austin, the Southland Conference, off to a 6-0 and start. A series sweeps of Houston Baptist and Lamar. Um, you know, I thought Lamar would be, and maybe they still will be, but, you know, I know Lamar is a team that uh, the coaches in the preseason seem to think fairly highly of as a, as a bounce-back candidate in that league under Will Davis. Um, and, and like I said, that still may, may be the case. Maybe SFA is just that much improved as well. So something to watch there in the Southland Conference with the Lumberjacks off to a quick 6-0 and start.
0: Outstanding. Love the Lumberjacks because... What a nickname!
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, I uh, I wanted to mention Miami of Ohio, which is uh, on a 12-game winning streak, which is the third longest in the country. So, absolutely, shout out to the Mac-tion. Uh The Redhawks, admittedly, have not played the best competition during that streak, uh, but that is about to change. They uh, they have to play Eastern Kentucky in the midweek, and then they start Mac play with conference favorite Kent State up in Kent. So we are going to find out a lot more about Miami this week, but uh, 12-game winning streak for the Red Hawks. uh, Very impressive start to the season for Miami. Uh, I also wanted to mention Grant Judkins at Iowa, uh, who is a two-way player, kind of, sort of. Uh, He had a pinch hit walk-off in the first game of a doubleheader yesterday against Northridge. Uh, It was his first hit of the year. Picked a great time for it. I think he's like one for five now. Um, But then uh, he got on the mound and threw eight innings in the the nightcap, held the Matadors to one run on three hits, and Iowa comes away with a 3-1 to victory and sweeps the doubleheader. So, uh, just a a very nice Sunday uh, for Grant Judkins out at Iowa. Love the uh, two-way guys that uh, wind up winning both games of a doubleheader. Just fantastic college baseball only stuff right there. Um, and then I also wanted to uh, to mention that this weekend, uh, th- this isn't so much of a shout out, although it kind of is, but this weekend in, in the SWAC, we've got Grambling and Southern playing. And that's one of uh, college sports better rivalries. And In baseball, it doesn't always mean what it means in, in football. But this weekend, they're going to play, and they're at the top of the West division in the conference, uh, which is a change. Usually, Texas Southern kind of dominates that uh, that division. But this year, Grambling and Southern both already have series wins against Texas Southern. And, and this weekend, are going to meet in, in a series that could go a pretty long way to determining who's kind of the favorite in the SWAC West. And I know that's not a, a conference we're paying a ton of attention to usually, but uh, you know I, I just love it when these rivalries kind of mean something. And Southern very much improved this year, already passed last season's win total uh, in year two under Carrick Jackson. So uh, a very much under the radar series to watch. Uh, sorry to encroach on your territory, Joe, but that's uh, that, that's where my head uh, went when uh, I saw the schedule for next weekend. So that will do it uh, for us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Absolutely loaded weekend of college baseball, uh, wrapping it up here. Uh, Love the start of conference play around the country. Always gets things. Very interesting uh, as these leagues get into the the meat of their schedule. And they will continue that uh, this week. And we will be back here uh, next week to wrap all of that action up. There will be a new top 25. Uh, and in between now and then, we kind of have a little bit of a, a season recap uh, theme this week at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, we, we've reached, as Joe mentioned, the the third of the way. We are a third of the way through the college baseball season, and as uh, a lot of fans, I think, kind of transition, you know, to college baseball with with basketball being over or um, you know about to be over for nearly everyone in the country. Uh, we start to see some interest pick up. So we'll. Uh, kind of help you everyone rehash the the first five weeks and, and reset as as conference play uh, really gets underway for for everyone around the country uh, in the week ahead uh, so until then you can follow us on twitter i am at ted cahill joe is joe underscore on underscore sports and dave is dave serrano 11. thank you Uh, for listening. Thank you to Joe and Dave for joining me here on the Baseball America College podcast. And we'll be back here uh, next week again. So thank you for listening.